A. Daffy Duck can fly. B. All ducks can fly. Okay, so which do you think is more general? If you answered B, well done, that's correct. Okay, how about this one? A. Alice lives in London. B. Alice lives in England. Which is more general? If you answered A, well done, that's correct. Um, wait, what? If you answered B like I did, you're in good company. Only three people in the lecture room raised their hands for A. So why is Alice lives in London more general than Alice lives in England? Surely England is bigger than London, so that's the more general case. After all, all ducks can fly refers to a bigger thing than just one duck. So what's the difference? Well, I think this is an example of one of those things that has a precise mathematical definition, but the way we use the word general in language is slightly different. The intuition explained by the lecturer is that the statement that gives you the most information is the more general one. In this case, all ducks can fly is a stronger statement than a single duck can fly, but technically Alice lives in London gives you more information than Alice lives in England. It's more specific geographically, but more general according to its formal definition. Anyway, after this fun introduction, I started to feel a bit lost. There were lots of definitions, and the lecture explained logical processes like deduction, subsumption, and abduction. He explained some work he did 20 years ago about reversing entailment that led to a huge amount of progress in the inductive logic programming field. Here's where things get really interesting though. ILP lets you do program synthesis. I think I briefly mentioned this in passing yesterday. The basic idea is to automatically generate programs from examples of correct inputs and outputs. For example, I might want to generate a program that reverses a list, so I'd feed it the list of A, B, C, D with its reverse of D, C, B, A, and with just a handful of positive and negative examples, inductive logic programming lets you synthesize a program to do this. This absolutely blew my mind, not because this was a new idea for me, but because it was one I've thought about for many hours worked on, and even built a system that tries to do this. My system used completely different techniques, and was based on the Cook-Levin reduction of a non-deterministic Turing machine to the Boolean satisfiability problem. I don't expect that to mean anything. But my system had problems. It worked in theory, but not practice. It was really only able to synthesize the simplest of programs, such as a binary incrementer. What's more, I couldn't see a way around a problem where you had to specify the number of rules the program could have in advance, which limited it considerably. In fact, the inductive logic community had this problem too, and it wasn't until 2011 when they'd broken through and the lecturer had figured out a way to invent predicates, which was his terminology for using any number of rules in the generated program. He'd also shown how recursion could be handled, which was previously a problem. They'd built a system for synthesizing programs from example data that ran substantially faster than anything that came before. For example, you could give it examples of unsorted and sorted lists, and it would learn a sorting algorithm. 
I asked three questions in total this lecture, and perhaps in my excitement, they became increasingly speculative. So for example, would it be possible to learn a sorting algorithm that's guaranteed to run efficiently in the size of the input? It turned out that the lecture had in fact worked on this problem the following year, and pointed me to a paper on this. My most speculative question, and in fact the last question of the day, was about whether the system could in some way be used self-referentially, some kind of diagonalization idea. I wondered whether the lecturer had thought about any possible cases where this might produce interesting results. The lecturer didn't dismiss my question, which was reassuring, and he pointed to some work he'd done around second-order logic, but I didn't fully understand this. Coming out of this lecture, my mind was racing, I had a strong feeling that these are the kinds of problems I'd like to work on, potentially full-time. This made me reflect once more on what I should be doing with my life. Food for thought. At dinner time, I joined Antonis, a PhD student from Greece, who's currently based in Reykjavik. After the first lecture today, he's interested in whether he can apply some ideas from epistemic modal logic to his line of work. I asked him about his responsibilities, and he told me a story of a time he lectured about computer science to students of a physical education degree. It was mandatory they take a module in either mathematics or computer science for some arbitrary reason. He decided to teach them basic web technologies like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, so they could actually do something practical with what they learned. I also spoke with Fatima and Bartol. Fatima was expecting the week to be a bit more practical than it's been. I explained I'd also wondered at the start what format it was going to take. Bartol is from Warsaw and works in formal verification. He's staying around for the mid-flock workshops and had to leave dinner early to play squash. He'd like to take a trip to London while he's here to look around. Well, tomorrow is my last day of the summer school. Let's see how that goes. Until then, thanks for listening. Thank you.